Hi, I wanted to welcome you to the Divorce Planning Podcast. I'm Carrie Goldring, and I'm in the mortgage business, and I do planning pre-divorce for people who are either going to refinance their home, do an equity buyout, or plan to purchase a new home and make sure that everything in the divorce decree is worded properly and the numbers and the planning is taken care of so that you can go through the underwriting process smoothly. And I would like to introduce you to other people who are interested in the divorce planning process so you can get a real education of what's involved. Hope you enjoy. Hi, today I have with me Sean Cleland who's an attorney and specializes in family law. And I thought, Sean, you could just give a brief introduction about yourself. And then you and I are going to talk about appraisals. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Uh, I am an attorney, I um, but I specialize um, in mediations and collaborative practice, divorces. Don't do much in the way of litigation, although I'm happy to pass people on to good people. Um, and I've uh, been doing that. Uh, now for um, almost a decade. I'm getting close to that. Um, and I really enjoy working with people, especially with people like Carrie. Uh, oh. it, it, it's a lot of fun. So thanks for having me. Yes, thank you. So I had it brought up recently where someone had asked me what the difference is between a mortgage appraisal and just maybe a regular divorce appraisal. So the thing that I know about the differences that I've been told is a divorce appraisal is going to hold up in court if there's litigation because it's not assigned to a mortgage company. And when you do a mortgage appraisal, it is for the purposes of a mortgage. And mm -hmm. I wanted to know what differences you know or when would you ask for an appraisal to be done versus when you don't think you're going to really, you'll just take like the mortgage report, let's say. The answer to that question will depend upon what kind of process these people are going through. So I would categorize it by question pertains to people who have a case in front of a judge in a court, they're litigating. The answer will be different than it is if I'm doing a collaborative case or in mediation. In a litigated case where you have a judge, two people have attorneys, what you want to do is get the most accurate and up-to-date type of appraisal on the home. Um, and a mortgage appraisal is something that um, is really specific for the purpose of the bank. The, the mortgage appraisal, the whole reason they do it is to assess how much loan money a bank can safely give to a homeowner. Right. That's an entirely different rationale than, hey, what's this value of this home worth to these two people getting a divorce? That's a different question. So if you have a mortgage appraisal, it's almost always going to be of a lower value because that's in the, the bank's interest. So um, it's not as accurate to use. And so I tend to advise people in a litigated divorce when I'm asked that they should go ahead and get a full-on appraisal done by an appraiser, a licensed appraiser. Usually run, they can run more, but I'd say $500 is a decent guide to how much they'll cost. And that's a type of appraisal where they're going to do a real big workup. Not just a market appraisal, but they're going to do a, um, an actual inspection of your home, take into consideration the age of your roof, um, how good the paint looks in it. 
clutter everything. It's a real detailed analysis to see what it actually is valued at. And that's what usually I would suggest in a litigated divorce. When you get to the collaborative practice divorces, you get to the mediations. I tend to tell people to use what they can both agree to use as long as they're both informed as to the downsides and the benefits to each type of divorce appraisal or mortgage appraisal um, or market analysis by a real estate agent, then as long as they know the upsides and the downsides of those, then usually that's okay as long as they understand that. That makes sense. I wanted to clarify something just for the audience too. There are some banks that would do what's called a drive-by appraisal where they're literally driving by the house. They're looking up comparable sales that have sold recently and they're coming up with a value of the home. A right. lot of mortgage companies, non-banks, non-credit unions will hire an appraiser who you will go into the home. So they will do a more extensive appraisal, but they are subject to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or FHA guidelines, depending on what type of loan it is. So there's rules set up where if you're doing a divorce appraisal, they probably don't have to follow the rules so closely because it's not getting sold on the secondary market. So if mm -hmm. we do a mortgage appraisal, when they're comparing homes, they can't compare it to a home. Well, these are guidelines, so there's no like in stone rule, but you shouldn't do things more than three miles away. You shouldn't cross a major road. You should stay in the same school district. It should be the same style home. You should give adjustments if there's extra square footage, finished basement, more than two car, you know, garage, fireplace, all those things have adjustments to them to make the subject property equal to at least three comparable sales in the last three months. So if you have a market like we have now where house prices are going up, every appraisal that you get, every comparable sale is probably going to be less. And then if two people get the appraisal apart from each other, and maybe it's a month apart or two months apart, obviously there's different homes that have sold recently that are going to be used on the appraisal. So the value could change. Where when you're going in a down market, any appraisal that the appraiser is comparing a sale to is higher. So it might appraise for more than what it could really sell for. So it gets a little funky because there isn't a correct answer, right? And I've had some people right. say, well, right. we looked up Zillow and we're going to use Zillow or we have, you know, the neighborhood realtor who sent out this piece of paper saying what our house should be worth or you get into a court and the you have to answer to a judge or a fact finder. So you want to find the most accurate value for the home. And that's, and like I said, almost always going to be, no, they're not going to, that that will never be acceptable in a court or to, to attorneys who know what they're doing. Um, but um, you, you, that's the whole object is to get the most accurate in that setting. And so, um, if you're in a different setting, you can use different approaches, but in a court setting, it's entirely different. Right. That's true. I've seen a couple times, not a lot, where we're doing a buyout where one spouse has to give equity to the other spouse to move out. 
and they're still married. So they come to closing and have to sign a couple of pieces of paper. And one of the closing disclosure forms shows the appraised value. So they may have been in a mitigated, a mitigated case, or they may have been in a collaborative case and they agree to, let's just say $300,000, they're gonna split the equity. And then they go to the closing and they see that our appraisal came in at 330. And they're like, oh my God. Right. So talk to me about that. Does that mess up your negotiation? Or do they know like, hey, you already agreed and this is mortgage purposes only? Yeah, in a mediation or in a collaborative case, you'll want to make sure, again, that the people understand the differences, the be the, the detriments and the benefits of each one of these methods uh, before they agree to anything. And then once they do agree to something, you're going to document exactly what they agreed to as the value in the settlement agreement that they'll both sign. So there really isn't any going back at that point in time. So the key is making sure that the people understand it. So if they do end up getting to the closing stage and they see the values higher or maybe lower than they thought, most likely higher, then they know, okay, well, this is the the bet I made and, and they can't go back on it. They're more or less stuck at that point. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of times we'll do the equity buyouts prior to a settlement agreement being made, but they agree to a value for the equity portion. That will always be in the settlement agreement. It has to be in there. Right. Not just that they agree some way of determine, determining the value. We want to have the value set forth in the agreements. Right. And I know sometimes that comes after my oh, course, yeah. which gets yes. which gets interesting because they've agreed to it, but there's no settlement agreement. And I will have them put in writing how much the equity should be. Yes. Right. There's no problem in a mediation or a collaborative case using any of the other methods. And oftentimes people who are, for example, using mediation are very cost conscious about, you know, going ahead and their divorce process. They want to save as much money. They don't want to spend too much. Uh, they want it to be quick and easy. And sometimes the factor that they choose in one of these methods is not accuracy. It's not what's the best way of determining the value. It's how much is it going to cost me? So most of these people will have a friend who's a real estate agent who can do a free market analysis for them. And they'll use that number. Like you said, some will just use Zillow. You have to tell people that Zillow is not a, a good way of going about it. Some people are insistent because it's free. Uh, there's also a lot of different reasons why people choose different methods um, and the context in which, you know, they're making those decisions and really it plays into why they make the decisions they make. Right. So on a, on a divorce appraisal, because I've never seen a divorce appraisal, do they use comparable sales like they would do on my mortgage appraisals or do they just do a report about the subject house? Well, in a divorce appraisal, if it's a, if it's a, uh, comparative market analysis where they're just going to go and look at the values of other homes in the area, more or less compare bedrooms as far as numbers go, how many bathrooms, uh, and they'll just tell you what that home can be sold for. Okay. That's all they're really going to do in that, in that instance. So it's what people use when they're married and selling a home and it's tried and true and it's, 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 
reliable. That's how people set the values for their homes when they sell it. But it's not the best way of determining the actual value of the home. There's a difference. It's a little bit slippery between what the value of the home is and what you can sell it for. I can sell an old bike I have that for a lot more money than maybe it's worth um, based upon what people are looking for. So it's it's a slippery distinction, but that's really what it comes down to. So for me, it's usually what people are most comfortable with as far as risk goes in picking one of those methods, because they're not going to be looking at the value or the age of your roof in a, in a divorce appraisal where they're just using a comparative market analysis. Um, I, I is a, in any case I have, no matter what method, I will always recommend that people use a licensed real estate appraisal, um, even though it's $500, because I will tell people it is the most uh, objectively reasonable way of determining a value. It eliminates all disputes. But like I said, people have their reasons for not wanting to, and often it's the cost. Right. Would you ever have someone say, well, I want to hire that appraiser because I can tell them I'm going through a divorce and I need it really high or I need it really low, depending on which end they're sitting on. Well, the scariest part is when you have someone who's got a relative, a cousin, maybe a sibling who's a real estate agent and just about everybody knows a real estate agent as a friend. And so are you getting an honest answer uh, in that scenario? So if someone's, but, but oftentimes the couple will, if they want to go that route, they'll both agree to who's going to do the uh, market analysis, not just that they're going to do a market analysis. So it's a two-stage agreement. Who's going to do it and what type of of analysis are we going to go with? All right. And what what happens when, okay, so let's just say typical divorce, nine months. Obviously, a lot can change from month one to month end, right? Is that a discussion? When do we want to determine the value or is it just part of the process and it comes up? It's part of the process. And, and oftentimes it's part of the initial discussion that you, the home's an issue. There has to be determination as to what you're going to do with it. So if it's going to be sold and they're going to split the equity, or if one's going to keep it and they have to refinance they know off the the bat that okay this is how we have to set the value of the home if one of you is going to keep it so in that scenario they often will run with it people want to start doing their homework they want to get the process moving so oftentimes those just one of the first things they'll do is they'll engage in a real estate agent do a comparative market analysis maybe they get a real estate appraisal done right away um, uh, and sometimes, like I said, they, in these cases, maybe they want to just rely on the mortgage appraisal that they get in that process of figuring out what they might be able to refinance a home for. When they do that, though, you do have to have a conversation. If six months down the road, then they're ready to sign the agreement because you have a very old appraisal at that point. And in this day and age, six months is a lifetime. I think back to the time of COVID where three months was a a uh, millennium of time right. between the way the world was before and then afterwards. And that was very um, a scary time for people. So you, you have to update it and make sure that you're getting accurate information at the end. So either they have to redo it, check in with the person who did it, see if there's any changes. Yeah, it gets, it gets confusing. And I'm sure assets and everything else you're dividing, the values are changing all the time too, depending on what the market is doing. Right. So we're always working with a moving target, right? 
You absolutely are. Uh, and mm-hmm. again, it, it comes down to making sure that the people understand that. Um, so it, it's all about communication with your client about that. That's vital. That is very true. Anything else that you wanted to ask me about the appraisal part from a mortgage perspective going through divorce? Well, uh, oftentimes what comes up with me is when a couple wants to, uh, one wants to keep the home uh, and they don't want to get another mortgage in this day and age because the interest rates have gone up. In that scenario, does the type of appraisal uh, matter? Uh, if, if one person wants to get the value, um, the home's not being sold. Um, it's going to be kept by one of them. They're going to stay on the same mortgage, but there might be a payout of money that's due to someone for their equity interest in the home. Um, do you recommend that people get a market analysis then and there to see what the value of the home is at the time they make their agreement? Yes, and they they kind of have to, but it's interesting too. And I'm definitely not an attorney, so I'm not giving anyone advice. No. But the red the red flags that I would bring up are if you the red flags that I would bring up is if you're going to stay on the mortgage. What happens if the spouse who's making the payment doesn't make the payment or is late or files bankruptcy. What are those, what are those consequences look like, if any? Um, and then do you have equity somewhere else so you don't have to refinance the property or is that person willing to go get a home equity loan or some mortgages are assumable. So could they do an assumption and keep things the same or now I hear some people are doing assumptions, but saying it's going to cost you so many thousand dollars, or we're going to raise the interest rate half a percent. Or, and the fact that there's two right. different types of assumptions. So there's one type of assumption that doesn't relieve liability. And there's another type of assumption that does. So are they even getting the correct assumption? So yeah, if they're keeping the mortgage, there's a lot to consider and I have some attorneys that I work with that are adamant of, no, I'm not letting the other side stay on the mortgage. It's just too risky. And I have others that don't have a problem with it. Yeah. Every time I have this situation, I'm always sending them to Carrie's way uh, (laughs) because she can advise people better, help them understand that process and what things they have to be concerned about. Um, and making sure that, you know, the it's communicated to the attorney so that the agreements are, you know, in good working order. Right. It's a good so, team effort. No, no doubt. So, yeah, my job is to bring up red flags and it's your job to give the advice, right? <laughs> Correct. Right. You're just aiding the attorneys. We're not giving mm-hmm. the advice. Right. So it, it works good, but there's always so much to think about. And the mortgage industry is constantly changing it. And that never seems to stay the same either. Our guidelines, we get updated guidelines every single month. The industry is changing and adapting, you know, whether, you know, the old days when you had the short sales, the foreclosures, now the assumptions, they're right. all, it's always changing for the time. Right. Yeah. And I've had trouble with, with getting people assumptions. It seems like that's the hardest thing some of my clients uh, for them to get. Uh, oftentimes I suggest it and they're just told off the bat they're not able to do that. Right. Um, a lot but, of banks aren't but, doing that. 
Right. But but that's changed over the time. So some banks I'm familiar with that will do them. Um, the interesting thing is like when you're getting a new mortgage and you're working with someone like me who's more of like, you know, the salesperson holding your hand and walking you through the process. And then you call the bank because you want to do an assumption. And now you have an employee who's sitting at a desk doing their job. So that handholding for this difficult process is eliminated. The urgency is eliminated. So you're doing an assumption. No one even explains to you whether or not the liability is getting released because it doesn't matter to them. You ask for an assumption. Yes, it's assumable. Oh, but it's only a simple assumption. I didn't tell you that because I don't need, I'm just the worker who doesn't even realize there's two different types of assumptions. And then they get the file and they're like, oh, I asked for two bank statements, but I only got one. Put it off to the side. I'm going to work on my next one. So you don't have that person right. like me going, what's next? What's next? Get it. Get it. So the process right. could take months. And if you don't have someone on the other end constantly calling and saying, do you have everything? Do you need everything? Did you order the appraisal? Did you get the title work? And they don't know the questions to ask. That's not a job that someone normally has. And as you know, mm -hmm. going through this whole fabulous divorce process, you're overwhelmed. You already have more homework on things that you don't do on a daily basis. So some, even though the assumption and the interest rate sounds great, it doesn't work out a lot of times, I think, because of those things. Right. Yeah. And, and I, it, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. It, it's the, the assistance you can give people through the process. So they know that you can guide them through it is what's really important uh, because uh, People should be spending their time during the divorce process getting ready for the first day post-divorce. Right. Use this time wisely. And someone like yourself, for clients I've had, have always come back and thanked me more or less for getting you involved because that allowed them to make that transition uh, and be ready for it when the day comes that the divorce is final. Because there are a lot of steps and things that people don't know. As I always say, you don't know what you don't know. And that's usually very, the problem in these divorces. Very true. And then a typical mortgage person who doesn't specialize in divorce doesn't know what they don't know either. I listened no. to a podcast Correct. the other day. Someone was talking with a divorce attorney about doing mortgages for people going through divorce. And they listed like these six things that you should be aware of. And every one of them, I'm like, oh, no, that's not right. Oh, no, that's not right. And here they are saying they're a professional. Right but they're not certified. They didn't go through the training. They're, they're taking good guesses, but they don't, they don't really have the right, the right scoop. Mortgage people today are, are, are partially salesmen and, mm -hmm. and they're trying to, to get as many mortgages sold as they can. And you can't blame them. That's how they get paid. It's right. a totally different endeavor and focus than yours uh, when you're a divorce specialist, because you're trying to be a guide. And that's right. the real distinction between the two. Uh, and I, that's why I would I don't feel comfortable sending people just to mortgage companies. I'm always more comfortable sending them to a divorce professional for lending advice. How can people get a hold of you if they want to contact you? Uh, they can go to uh, my website, which is Cleveland Collaborative Divorce. 
um, they can go to, they can call me on my phone, my business phone, 586-876-9165. They can email me at clelandsolutions at gmail.com. Any way they want to get in touch with me, I give free advice, um, help people out um, with an hour consultation because I want people to make good decisions. And that's, that's why I do what I do. Yeah, that's why we like working with you because I know you really, you care, you care, you care about the family. Like you said, you care about how things look after divorce, not only getting somebody divorced, which I think makes a really big difference. It does. It does. For me, it's a cause. It's not a profession. It's, 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 that's what we have to look at it like. You're right. You are right. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed having you and thank you for doing this with me. My pleasure, Carrie. Anytime. I appreciate the, uh, the time with you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our podcast on divorce planning. I'm Carrie Goldring, and I hope you have a great day.